Good afternoon, everyone. We are back with Office Hours with the amazing Double Davids there, Devin Denofa. What's going on, brother? Excited to be here. We got some amazing guests, and I'm excited to learn and hear from them. So, awesome. Let's going. see your shirt. I, I have a copy of that shirt. So, doctor, lawyer, entrepreneur reminds me of my childhood. Keep in mind, by the way. <laughs> I, I love that. Yeah, my mom told me doctor, lawyer, failure. So, same thing. And you know what's funny about being a when I was a young entrepreneur, maybe uh, Cindy recognizes this, when you would tell people you were an entrepreneur, it was like telling people you were an actor. They just assumed you were a waiter, you were working at a diner somewhere, or you were unemployed. Uh, now, you know, they like knit capes for entrepreneurs. Sometimes uh, Gary Vaynerchuk and I hang out and we're like, can you believe like people want our autograph or take a picture with us? And we, we laugh, but uh, nonetheless, we have another best-selling author here. Dr. Cindy McGovern is in the house. We're so blessed and so excited, as you say. And her newest book is something that truly is uh, a foundational pillar for my, my life, and it's Sell Yourself, right? We kind of nurse and curse and rehearse who we are, but to create, live, and sell a powerful personal brand has changed my life, and it's something that I teach. And you know, who'd ever thought that Devin Denopa would have a brand or David Meltzer would have a brand. When, you know, for you, uh, Dr. Cindy, did you realize that everybody should have a personal brand? So first of all, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here with y'all and I appreciate you. And it's very funny because that's actually what brought me to write this book. I got a very big wake up call right before I finished my PhD, where a mentor of mine pulled me aside and said, girls who look like you aren't supposed to be smart. And I was like, what do I do with that information? And this is someone I respected, I loved. And what he was telling me is I was now a PhD moving into a world where I was going to have to battle other people's stereotypes and what other people thought. And so I was going to have to sell those aspects of my brand that got me where I wanted to go, whereas getting a job as a professor or something like that. So it, it was a bit of a wake-up call for me, and I thought my work was speaking for itself, and I was a good researcher and a good student and realized, whoa, hang on a second. There is a proactive nature that goes along with branding. Well, it's so funny because people told me uh, when they met my wife that people that look like me don't marry girls that look like that. <laughs> so I, I was a little scared when I got a LASIK surgery that uh, the gig would be up, but uh, fortunately... She sees a lot more inside than outside. Anyway, Dev, uh, I see a curious look on your face. What are you thinking? Yeah, yeah, I got a, I got a good one. Um, so when it comes to personal brand, one thing that I know helps a personal brand is authenticity, right? I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, authenticity. Have you ever ran into somebody that you're working with and you're like, listen, I don't know if we're going to be able to do some good things with, with who you are right now. Right. Is was there ever a time where you were like, hey, maybe we need to reinvent your like reinvent who you are? Like, what did that look like? So, yes, that happens all the time. And I think the biggest challenge is people are unaware of the brand that they're selling and everybody needs to recognize you have one already. Whether you realize it or not, you're selling something. So if it's not getting you where you want to go or are you having the resting witch face or something, that might be part of the problem. If you think you're doing a great job, but you actually act like you have like a chip on your shoulder, these are all the things that are in your way to getting what you want to do and what you want and where you want to go. So yes, when I have encountered people who are a little bit tone deaf on their brand or 
need to rebrand. It's a delicate conversation, but if your desire and your connection to the mission and the impact that you want to make and where you want to go in your life is greater than the fear, you're going to be willing to do the work. And that's really what it boils down to is being willing to be uncomfortable as you transform. And one of the other areas that we look at, uh, which my mom also inspired me to study, and I studied a lot of history for this reason, is human nature. Um, and my mom used to tell me all the time, study history and you'll realize human nature never changes. And if you can figure out how to utilize your connectivity to that human nature, you'll excel in whatever impact you want to have. Now, you have a doctorate in organizational communication, which maybe a lot of people don't know what that actually is. But more importantly, can you describe what a doctorate in organizational communication is, but furthermore, how human nature uh, is applicable to the organizational communication skill set? Great question. So OrgCom is basically a third psych, a third business, and a third communication. So that's the best way to describe it is I, I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not, I'm sort of a little bit of each one. It's a three-legged stool. So, but the passion that I have is literally what you just said is around the people piece. I want to help people truly to get what they want in their lives by using communication. We are communicating 24 seven in everything that we do. And so that human nature piece is absolutely a central factor in what I help people with, because you're absolutely right. People have not changed since Adam, right? So it's human nature, but recognizing that the world is changing around us. And that's actually what brought me to, to work on this book was everything changed in the last couple of years. And we're impacting people differently. People's desires are different. People are needing to rebrand in a way. And so if you're looking at human nature, maybe that hasn't changed, but maybe the way that you're presenting yourself to the world has, or maybe it needs to. And that's the thing that I would tell everybody is if you're not getting where you want to go in life, in your career, in your relationships, I've had people come back to me and say, this works in dating. I'm like, of course it works in dating. <laughs> First date is a sales conversation. <laughs> but, but if you're not making that impact where you want to go, it is likely because you're selling the wrong thing and it is who you are and how you're interacting. And you know, it comes, comes top of mind for me, especially in this day and age, a lot of CEOs of companies, you know, they have a brand on social media, right? And the one thing that I always, and I say this all the time about Dave, there's a lot of people that you follow. And then when you meet them in person, it's like, you know, less, I don't know, your biggest fear is meeting your hero in person and they're not who you thought they were, right? So when you're a leader of an organization to sit out and, and promote your brand, <clears throat> excuse me, kindness, this, that, and the other thing, and your employees are then saying, I don't know who that person is. Right. This is stuff that a lot of leaders, especially now, have to be so it's almost like an accountability that they have to have now. Are you seeing a lot of that too when you work with people? One hundred percent. And what leaders, especially I would I would call them out in this moment because you're creating a leadership legacy. And you have to remember it's not just up to you to be telling that story. It's literally everyone that you're leading are actually the advocates of that story and that legacy. And so in your mind, maybe you are a hero, maybe you are this great communicator, this great delegator, and everybody thinks you're a total jerk. That's actually your real legacy. So what feedback are you getting as a leader? How are you soliciting that information from the people that are following you to make sure that you're landing the message you mean to be landing? And, and it's, it's a tone deaf piece, Devin. And that's what I see a lot of times is people just don't even recognize it because they think my highlight reel says all the right stuff. That's what social media is. Everybody's highlight reel. 
What are you really doing? What impact are you making on the people around you? That's your legacy. Yeah, no doubt that Shakespeare had a right to thy own self be true. And also the whole world is your stage, which creates a, a conflictual legacy of a perceived person and a real person. Uh, and a lot of people are fooled by the perceived legacy uh, that they have from the people that only see the snapshots of our best selves and not those who live with us every day. You're also known as the first lady of sales. And one of the areas of sales also probably is intertwined within the context of organizational communication uh, in that aspect of communication is a missing component that I see a lot of people when it comes to sales not realize that you may have all the knowledge, skills, and desire, all the features, benefits, and value, but without the capability of communicating, without the capability of articulating uh, the quantitative value, that all is a miss, I say, that you could have and be 90% of the way there as an extraordinary first lady of sales, but if you can't articulate, if you can't communicate the quantitative value, uh, then you're not gonna have any success um, how can we help people through uh, your book and other things understand that there's a final valuable step of communication or articulation that is required in order to be successful? In, even if you're walking the walk, if you can articulate the walk uh, in the directions there upon walking, you're not going to get the sale. Yeah, it's, it's so true. And it's funny because that's also why I named the book Sell Yourself, because people say that all the time. They throw that around. They're forgetting there's a sales word in there. Like you, you have to actually sell. And most people have this icky connotation of sales, right? But if you're truly going to, even if you are in a sales capacity, I know a lot of salespeople that say, oh, but I'm not a real salesperson. Like I don't sell that way. Nobody wants to sell that way. Like even the guy that's selling that way doesn't want to sell that way. But when you come to that articulation of value, I think the piece that most people are missing, David, is no sale happens without trust. And what you're actually doing is selling who you are, because if I don't believe you, I'm not going to believe any of the features, advantages and benefits. I have to buy you before I'm going to buy anything else. And so I think that's why selling yourself is actually more important than anything else. And that's what I hope to help people to do. Well, I think just to reiterate or to add to what you're saying, I took about credibility emotional attachment, and then the quantification of value through reasons, impacts, and capabilities as an arsenal to infuse it. But what's funny about credibility, if you take a step back in this idea of trust or credibility, that my ultimate objective in communication is to come as close as I can to my true self, my potential to have credibility, uh, because if I can ascertain or attain 100% credibility, no matter what I say, you'll do it. And, and I've never been able to be 100% credible. And you know, those who know me even the closer or better know that I'm far from 100% credible. In fact, I like to say that I'm about 50% credible. I'm 50% of the time I'm right. I, I do that out of radical humility and experience. But more importantly though, if you could achieve 100% credibility, I could tell everybody here today, the thousands of people that are watching live and the millions that will watch it on replay, hey, send me a million bucks, I'll send you two million. That's simple with nothing else to support it with 100% credibility. And most people don't work on that credibility side of things in order to increase the statistical success. So I wanna reiterate and really empower people to read the book and understand that this book is about your credibility. When we talk about selling yourself and brand, uh, what Cindy's talking about is 
hey, do you want to be more credible so people will actually do what you ask? It's that simple. I hate to take it away, but it's so overlooked. It drives me nuts as someone who's trying to empower people uh, with the ability to empower people. Uh, Dev, why don't you bring us home? I know you have that perplexed, curious look again. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so as a sales coach, right, you go into an organization and, you know, it's it's we put this weight on our shoulder to where we can change anybody, right? I don't care who it is. Like, I'm going to make them a beast. It's all, all these things. Have you, like, what does it look like when you meet somebody and you're like, like what is the timeline to where you then go, Listen, maybe sales, like, I don't know, maybe sales just isn't for you. And this is as a leader of an organization, right? Because sometimes people like us, like, and I know in my mind, I put so much pressure on myself to where I feel like I have to be able to help everybody, like, or else I'm, I'm doing the wrong things. And there are just some, you may want it, you may want it for them more than they want it for themselves. When, like, how far do you go before telling a leader, like, listen, you may need to put that team member in a different position or something like that? I'm pretty quick on that, but that's part of my personal brand is my consulting style is if your baby's ugly, I'm going to tell you. So if you if you hired my opinion, you better be ready for it. Stay away from my kids, goddamn it. <laughs> but but it's true. Like I want I want the best for the clients that I work with, and sometimes that dog just won't hunt. So we need to be honest about that. And let's be honest too. We all know this as entrepreneurs. Not every door that opens is the right one for us. And we have to make that decision too. So sometimes it's even helping that person to make the decision that like, I get that you want this and I get that you want to be a salesperson, but here are the things that are in your way. And maybe you got to rebrand and maybe you're willing to do that. But I know that feeling, Devin, and it's an awful feeling where we want it more than they do. And I've had to really take a step back and go, I get that I want this more than you. So let's have an honest conversation about what you really want to be when you grow up, because this isn't it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's okay. I, and it's I, okay. I think it's important to tell. It's okay. There's plenty of people to do plenty of things. And I'm uh, also someone who comes and struggles because I want the best for everyone. And sometimes I want it more than they want it for themselves. Dr. Cindy McGovern, please join us more often. Please come on my other shows. You're an extraordinary uh, scholar, author, and inspired uh, leader. And we appreciate you joining us. Her newest book's called Sell Yourself. So that's the credibility portion, how to create, live and sell a powerful personal brand, not just to be uh, Gary Vaynerchuk, but a personal brand within your personal and professional life. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for writing the book. Thanks for helping us. DrCindy.com. You can find her everywhere. Thanks so much. Thank you, everyone. Awesome. All right. We're one for one and I promise we'll be two for two because our second hitter up here is Andrea Marcellus. She's the founder and CEO of and slash life and life.com. Uh, and just the holistic approach to life is so aligned with both uh, Devin and I and what we teach and what we do. Um, and it's a crowded space, which I think is good, right? Our, our holistic approach of body and mind, soul and spirit, all the different nuances of and life are out there. But yet, you know, just like, you know, it's not for everyone. There's so many different people with different needs that we can suit and customize to maximize uh, our lives. And, you know, I, I love what you're doing uh, with Shape Up and, and, and what you do. What is uh, some of the distinctive things that you're utilizing with Shape Up 
uh, in this crowded space of, you know, the mind and the body programs that exist. Well, first of all, thanks so much for having me. You know, I love hanging out with you, David. So, and we are completely aligned. And you're right. It is great that it's a crowded space because that means there's a lot of energy. There's a lot of hunger for this conversation of how do we live a more balanced life? How do we really maximize ourselves? And the brand, my brand, is really based on this idea of helping people maximize what I consider to be their three most precious personal resources, that's time, energy, and funds. So, you know, people come to me, they think to lose weight, and I'm talking about that. <laughs> so yeah. the main thing is that, you know, the strategies that and life is talking about are practical. They fit into the life you actually live for results you actually get to keep. And the other thing is that they start with your brain. They start with stress management or what I prefer to call circumstance management, the ability to master your own mind and the body follows. And then the two level each other up. Amazing. Yeah. It's a really, yeah. it's a unique process. De Devin was standing there like a statue. I thought I was going to say something. <laughs> <laughs> I got so I always have so many things I love learning as you see and I love teeing up questions. Sometimes I switch them up as I hear you. Um, based off of this, you know, as you work with with business owners, um, one thing that I realize, especially with busy business owners, is they almost feel guilty scheduling time for themselves. For yeah. the it's almost like, oh, I don't want anybody to know I'm doing this because I should be doing this consistently. Do you find that that's a that's a common um, mindset, like uh, opportunity when you're working with a lot of these businesses that do not feel guilty about blocking out an hour and a half, even at lunchtime or whatever, you know, do, do not feel guilty about that. Do you find that that's a common thing? Um, you're preaching to a victim of it right here. So. I mean, I am, as I have workaholic tendencies for sure, I'm deeply passionate about what I do. I can get totally lost in it. And since I switched to a business that would be scalable rather than working with people one-on-one -on -one about five years ago, you know, I became that person. So all of these strategies that are part of the Shape Up Body Mind program are for people like me, people like that, that like, yeah, I feel guilty if I set aside a certain amount of time. So what I help people do is inject beneficial practices for both their mind and their body in the day, throughout the day, throughout the life they personally live. It's completely customizable. So even though a business owner can do this not only for themselves, like say one-on-one, -on -one, but bring it to their whole team, the approach is such that everybody can integrate it into their own life in a customized, unique way. And that is definitely a thing. You know, it, it you start to get rolling with what you're doing and you're passionate about it. And you know, you have a to-do list and this is for just people in general. We tend to do the things on our to-do list that have to do with other people first. And so what I help people do is create what I call self-care scaffolding. These are the, David has his non-negotiables in the day. Well, these are tiny non-negotiables so that people can actually get into it and build the habit of, you know, the longer periods of time that somebody that's more, you know, uh, practiced at it like David can do every day. Okay, I got a question. Hopefully, no one's ever asked you, and let me know if they have. Uh, so, obviously, my mission is based off of empowering people to be happy. I quantifiably talk about, 
making a lot of money, uh, which helps us to be happy, helping a lot of people, which you just uh, suggested and I agree with, making you happy, and having fun. And one of the difficulties uh, in the subjective nature of fun, because you talk about really quantifiable results of time, energy, and then surprisingly, you also added fun, which I wasn't expecting. Um, and so I was looking for your input on some of the quantitative factors or criteria that you look at when you're helping people have more fun, how you either articulate the quantitative value of fun or recognize or raise awareness to what fun is because it's so subjective and personalized. But yet to me, like you, it's one of the key pillars to happiness or success. Right. Well, that's a great question. And, you know, when people start with me and again, they think like they're going to get a prescription of food. We started food and workouts. The first 45 minutes we're talking, which they do. We we work on that. But but um, the first thing is purpose. Right. We we define who you are. We define who you're not. We figure out your lane in life. And guess what's at the end of that lane? It's the things you would do if time and money were no object. We start dreaming because purpose is the driver of motivation, right? And so when people are trying to be fit and they want to, you know, they know that people who feel better do better, right? But if we're just trying to lose weight, that's a negative. I find that people do better pursuing a positive. Why do you want to lose weight, right? And motivation comes from purpose. So what we want is a solid purpose. Why do I need to have energy? Why do I need to be fit? What do I really want to do with that? And if we keep the focus on generating energy for a purpose with our beneficial choices in life, you are far more likely to stick to them because they have, you know, a bigger meaning, a bigger why. And that purpose, bringing back to your question, David, is fun for you. That's the whole point. I love that. You just answered my next question, but I do have something I want to elaborate on. Um, because as you think about, you know, a lot of people. Wait, how, how cute is this guy? I'm like, every time he talks, I fall in love with him. And <laughs> I, I just want to say, I, I appreciate Devin joining us. I get to alternate different hosts with me here, especially on Wednesday. And uh, Devin, man, you just kill me. I love you. You're adorable. Keep on coming. You haven't made, you haven't made fun of me. Uh, usually he throws a. It throws some oh, no, no. I just made fun of you right now, but you didn't realize it. It's perfect. <laughs> um, you know, one of the things, you know, me and, and just a lot of people in general, it's about instant gratification, right? Like the weight loss journey, people give up if they don't see results immediately. So one thing that has helped me get people to take action is, okay, where could I find instant gratification? Where I can find instant gratification is, hey, if you do something active, a walk, a jog, go to the gym, immediately your mind will work at a higher level. You'll get more energy. That's just one strategy. So where – if you can – and it may be purpose, but if there were – through all the people that you coached, if there was like one thing that you say, you know, this was, this was a thing or a strategy or a technique that I shared with them – that I felt made a lot of people go longer on this journey. You follow me there? Did I make any yeah, sense? I do. I mean, first of all, the way it's set up, it's gratification all day long. So I teach them neurology 101. I teach you what is literally happening in your brain when you feel stress triggered. 
And then I teach you about your happy hormones that are at your disposal all the time. And we start coming up with small strategies throughout the day, every day, all day to ping, 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 activate these happy hormones and try to keep yourself at a hormonal advantage. But if you want to talk about one strategy that is always going to be instantly gratifying. That is my rule of awesome. Spoiler alert, I'm writing my second book about this, but this is it. It is very simple and it sounds flip, but it's not. The rule of awesome is this. If it's not awesome, don't do it. But here's the thing. Okay. In the, in the shape of body, mind program, we're going to apply that to food, obviously. Right? So somebody offers you the brownie, you take a bite of it. If it's not the absolute best brownie, if it's not awesome, if it doesn't light up your soul, finish that bite and you give it away. Save it for your kids. They'll eat anything, right? You know, your roommate, whatever. But the thing is every choice we make is a little signal to ourself of our own value of our own self-worth, right? You start leveling up on all the small choices in the day. Look at your closet. Put on everything in your closet. It's not, do I look Instagram worthy? It's, does it generate energy? Does it make me feel powerful to wear this outfit? Do I feel on the outside like it represents how strong and capable I know I am on the inside? If not, pack that up and give it away. That'll give you some dopamine. You know, you'll feel good about that. You'll feel better than having it in your closet and looking at it every time. Rule of awesome. Only things in your life, every all the little decisions, if you start to level up with those, mentally you shift to a place of what we want to call plenty and safety as a default. And so everything starts to look better. Your perspective changes and it puts you at a hormonal advantage as opposed to being triggered you know, by your fear and anxiety center. What could go wrong? I'm worried. And that's triggered by threat or a sense of scarcity. I don't have enough time or I'm going to look stupid, basically. Yes, the root of all awesomeness. And it's so interesting that you say that. I will add one other thing uh, that creates the most dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, endorphins, that extra boost of biochemical reward that the universe gives us for doing the right things and creating the right habits. And it's the people. You know, if the people you surround you with don't make you feel awesome, then give them away to somebody that doesn't care. Uh, let them fall away or fire them from your life. And I know you subscribe to that as well. Just yeah. as we finish up with the last question, um, there's a philosophy that I've uh, shifted my paradigm to, and it's that we are already at ease, that we're connected to and through this great source and omniscient, all-powerful, all-knowing source that loves us more than our mom, that we host <laughs> a, an all-powerful light that we don't even and can't even uh, understand in our infinite ways and in our infinite being and nutrition uh, diet is something, you know, is, is a main part of shape up and what we do with the mind and the body in your program. Um, but food actually not only can create this, you know, quadruple benefit of dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, endorphins is awesomeness, the root of all awesomeness, but it is a main source of disease. Yeah. And, you know, we, we used to, to uh, our nutrition was medicinal in nature. It was this positive dose, like you talked about. And especially in America, I just got back from Europe and, you know, really felt the difference of food being uh, medicinal in nature compared to the dis-ease uh, when I got back of processed foods and other things, yeah. quantities especially, that put, yeah. you know, me obsessive compulsive growing up with six kids 
you know, food means something emotionally to me. I have a very difficult time. I eat really good foods, but I eat too much of it too fast. And so how can you help people understand this distinct, this distinguished difference between food being medicinal uh, and putting us at disease? Well, these are actually the cornerstones of the program um, on the food side of it. And what, and it, you're right, it's, it is deeply, deeply important. The first thing I do with people is I get them on a, an arbitrary eating schedule and we don't calorie count, we measure portions in hands. And I give it to them based on the amount of energy they need to get from meal to meal every two to four hours. And when you th start thinking in energy appropriate portions of food, what happens is your stomach strengths and your metabolism gets faster. And that's one of the ways that we create confidence with people. And the other thing is that I have them optimize the meals they don't share. So those are the ones that are easiest to control. And by optimizing the meals they don't share and working on their portions and their schedule, two things happen. One, they, when they eat social meals, their stomach's actually a little smaller. So they can't overeat. They really can't. Also, because they're eating these high, high quality, what I call superfoods all the time in the meals they don't share, they lose their taste for salt and sugar. And the importance of this is that it takes willpower out of the equation. And we didn't eliminate anything. Food bonds us. We cannot. Food is our social time. It's relaxation. It is traditional. It is bonding. And you want to have rich foods. If you lose weight without rich foods in your diet, it's not for real because you're going to eat them again. You have to include them. But if you do it this way, where you take willpower out of the equation and you slowly give yourself time to learn to eat energy appropriate portions and you alter your taste so sweet things get too sweet faster, salty things get too salty faster, you're going to reject those processed foods flat out. And when you eat out at restaurants and things like that, you're going to have plenty, but it's going to be enough and it'll never be too much. And you really start loving your life. Well, we love our life and we love you, Andrea Marcellus. You're amazing. And life.com and Andrea Marcellus.com. If you want to change your life through your mind, your body, and your soul, living at ease with very simple, pragmatic practices, this is our friend that will help you. I promise. <laughs> Andrea Marcellus, thank you so much. Join us again, as always, always, and equal to you. I love being around you. Thanks for inspiring us. We appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you, Andrea. Thanks so much, David. Thank you. Awesome. All right. Speaking of uh, where there's a will, there's a way and willpower. We got willpower coming on right now. William Kilmer is in the house. WilliamKilmer.com investor, entrepreneur, a former CEO, which is kind of like a recovering lawyer uh, in probably its own respect. And He's written a really interesting book uh, that's completely timely, uh, transformative. Build a game-changing innovation strategy, retool your organization, and innovate to win. Uh, with the time and change accelerating at such an exponential rate, William Kilmer, what are some of the key aspects leveraging the years of experience that you have to help us retool, to help us innovate in not just a game-changing way, but an accelerated changing way, which I think is just as important to the game as the innovation. Yeah. Hi, David. Hi, Devin. Nice to nice to see you both. Thanks for having me on. David, before we have before we start, I just have to give a little shout out back to you. Um, you know, I love your stuff. I love your material and and I find you completely inspiring. And in, in particular, one thing I will tell you, 
I've developed because of you a practice of gratitude on a daily basis. Every day I get up, I write down three things that I am grateful for that day. And, and you know, I started that at the beginning of the pandemic and I'll tell you, it's just carried me all the way through. So thank you for that in thank particular. Um, there are a lot of days writing this book where I needed that, uh, that little inspiration of being grateful for something, but um, thanks. You know, like the, the situation that we're in today is absolutely just an incredible situation from the dynamism of business today and in particular technology. And one of the things that I really cover in this book, Transformative, is the idea that organizations, uh, when they become market leaders, they go from challengers to market leaders, they really can comprehend all that's happening in the market and create opportunities that are really centered around three things that I've seen great CEOs, great leadership teams really focus on. And that is, you know, number one, regardless of the technology, regardless of products, things like that, they focus on doing something that is just truly game changing for their customer. It's not just simply something's better, that, but something that is completely different. And that really drives uh, a new market and a, and a new focus on uh, improving their lives in some way. Uh, two is that you know companies that are truly successful focus on uh, becoming market leaders and really developing a market that they can win that ends up growing with them until they become you know the the leader in the market. And then three is that they turn inward and that they really uh, help enable their organization to be successful. So a lot of times you know we think about great entrepreneurs, great companies, we think about the product that they develop. If you kind of peel back the organizational layer and you look inside of those, those companies, you'll find great leaders that have inspired their team because they know that they can't do it alone. And so, you know, I've really developed those principles that I've seen in leaders out there uh, who've been able to drive their organizations towards something that's inspiring, that empowers them to actually take part in it and really move the, move the needle inside of the, the company. Amazing. Well, when you talk about innovation, right, a lot of it probably has to do with, you know, you're doing something that others aren't. You're changing the game for a marketplace. Right. And, you know, when you're dealing with a lot of uh, business owners who are, you know, propelling to innovate, you know, I would assume that a lot of them, you know, it's a scary thing. Right. Everything's different. There's a lot of unknown. Right. What when you helped a lot of these companies innovate, is there a, a specific thing when you're working, let's just say, with a new company, you're like, well, based off of all these companies I've helped become successful with innovation, what were these are the typical things that most times get in the way? Mm -hmm. right? Is yeah. there a pattern when somebody innovates? You follow me there? Absolutely. And I think the number one thing that I've seen across companies is the fact that they focus on a product or a service and they focus uh, very minutely on the details of that product or service and how it's different versus really focusing on what I call outcome innovation. How do you innovate that customer experience? And usually that customer outcome means that you've tapped into something that they already need, but you've given them something else. I always call it a union statement. You know, you think about, for example, back in the day, you know, everybody drank coffee. When you drank coffee, you'd make your own cup of coffee at home. Well, Starbucks is a variation of that. And it's a union statement is how they've created their value. It's a great cup of coffee and it's also a third place where you can go beyond the office, beyond home, uh, to be able to socialize, connect with people, relax, do work. You know, it's an innovation off of something core that you already have. Uh, another example is a, is a company like Netflix, for example. Uh, you know, you used to watch television or maybe rent a DVD or a movie back in the days. And what Netflix gave you 
was that experience of being able to watch it, but also reach that long tail library of, of DVDs, of movies that you just wouldn't be able to find in a local store or that you'd be able to buy. So a lot of times it's just taking that, that core customer experience and adding something to it that just fundamentally changes the reason why somebody will actually buy from you. And, you know, and I think the enemy to that is really focusing in on the product itself too much and thinking about, well, how am I just going to make this different rather than I'm going to make the experience or the outcome different for the customer? And as we see the shift in fundamental changes and allows us to have to rethink some substantial institutions that have existed for hundreds of years, whether it be our financial institutions change at such a swift mechanism, our educational institutions, our political institutions. We're talking about major uh, foundational uh, changes that are happening so quickly that we can't support the changes even with innovation. And we talk about you know, the understanding of the values of the companies within the context of this transformation. What can we do in this transformation in order to accommodate the slower moving crucial institutions that a gap is being created today with to take advantage as a company of what's going on? Yeah, I think the best thing that you could do uh, with organizations like that is really help them to understand, number one, the context that they're in today, right? And how the world is changing. Um, one of the things I advocate is this idea of really looking at uh, what I call a pestle analysis of the world, right? How do you look at the political, economic, social, uh, technical, um, you know, type of trends that are happening and how that both impacts your organization, but how it enables you as well. And I take, you know, David, you, you brought up the education uh, market. And I think that is one of the most crucial ones that we see today that there's so many enabling technologies out there today. And the problem that we have with a lot of organizations is they focus on the incremental improvements and, and really how do they improve on what they're already doing and doing it better and, and becoming more efficient at it. And it, it causes them to kind of take their eye off of the ball in terms of what's the long-term uh, outcome that they're re really looking for. And if you look at you know, the education market today, People want a good job. They want to have the skills and capabilities that, you know, that they need in order to be able to get that type of job. And oftentimes for them, it may not mean a, a four-year degree, for example. It may mean a certain set of skills. So you know, how do we change what we're doing today, how we're delivering it, even if it goes against what we are good at in order to be able to get that outcome that, that's needed? Well, when you talk Last question, Dan. Yeah. Um, we talk about, you know, the environment changing, you know, you mentioned COVID. Uh, one thing that most business owners now are having to shift into working virtually, right? Employees working from home. How I have a term I like to, you know, share with people. It's about ramping up your virtual leadership, understanding virtual leadership. When you're not there, everybody's not in the building. How do you still remain an influence and a leader with people all over the place? Is this a struggle or is this a thing that you work with with a lot of company owners that are like, man, oh, I had all my people in here. Now they're all over the place. Like, I don't know what they're doing. How could I still remain a confident leader when they're all over the place? What are some strategies that you help people with there? Yeah, Devin, this is actually something I cover in the book um, that I think is really important. Um, like we've always had these issues, right, of how do we inspire teams? How do we get them working towards the same goal? It's much different right now because oftentimes we're, you know, we're removed from those individuals and we don't have that opportunity for 
for you know direct connection. But if you look at what separates the you know great companies, really the, the game changers and the market leaders from everyone else, it is the fact that you know they set intentionality inside their organization. They really drive that overall vision of where the company is going and what they're trying to accomplish, almost always from a customer perspective. They they leave it open to interpretation and they allow their organization to be empowered to help deliver whatever that means. I take a company like Zappos, for example, with the, the late Tony Shea, you know, CEO. Right? He had this inspiration for the organization. I mean, the, the guy was selling shoes, right? And he develops this inspiration about delivering happiness to customers. Now, delivering happiness might be something different from me to David, what you might think, and Devin, what you might think. But we all have a vision of what that is. And if you're in a company like that, that enables you to be able to uh, add to that vision, to be able to drive that, um, that's a company that will be inspiring no matter whether you're in the office or not. Um, and I think that ability to do so is really important. I think one of the things that, that, that oftentimes leaders fall short on is being able to clearly articulate what their vision is and being willing to state it enough times that it really gets through to the to customers. You know, there's there's a famous uh, uh, there's a famous kind of overview by John Cotter, who's a change management uh, professor at, at Harvard University, who uh, demonstrates if you only talk about something, you know, three or four times in a uh, you know in a month, um, you know, through email, through maybe a, a team meeting, etc it gets drowned out in all of the other messages. So you have to be repetitive about it. You have to be able to, to talk about it uh, ad nauseum and assure your team that they have the ability to really contribute to that and be a part of making that vision happen. You know, it's funny, uh, William, you started off by thanking me for reminding you how important gratitude was and what impact it had during COVID for you and the pandemic and that repetition you know, it's so easy, the amount of research that I do and the impact that I want to have and all the complexities of physics, quantum physics and metaphysics and, you know, some of the, you know, funner things that, funner, <laughs> the, the, the more interesting things uh, that I get to study, you know, that repetition of just telling people to say thank you before they go to bed and when they wake up, the repetition, not just for your clients, you know, I'm just always amazed. I have basic principles, values, daily practices that are the cornerstones of our business that help productivity and engagement. Um, and I think that repetition point is so important to the engagement level of everyone being a collective consciousness, not just your clients and, and customers and vendors, but your employees themselves may not without the repetition really grasp what is going on, the purpose, like you said, to empower them to deliver happiness out of delivering shoes. And it makes a big difference. And you could tell, uh, especially in sports, if a player is not playing, it doesn't matter how great they are. And I love the NFL for that reason, because no matter how great Tom Brady is, if he's distracted because he has marital problems, all of a sudden the greatest quarterback of all time that had no problem winning no matter where he was can't win. Uh, and that's what we're talking about within the context of corporations and the transformative ability to build that game-changing innovation and strategy, but to retool that organization to innovate to win, not just innovate for fun or innovate for being clever or creative or curious, 
but we want to innovate to make a lot of money, help a lot of people and have a lot of fun. And that's what your book really helps people do. And I want to congratulate you for the book. I want to encourage others to read the book. Great investor, entrepreneur, CEO. Thanks for joining us, William Kilmer, williamkilmer.com. We'll have you back. And thank you for recognizing. Thank you. All right. Thank you, David. Thanks, Devin. Great to see you both. Look forward to Great talking to have you. you. Thanks so much. All right. We're moving and grooving. It's a full day, Devin, and uh, you're getting the hang of this. You're pretty good. Maybe I'll invite you back as well. But El Beltran is here. He's going to ask us a question, but I thought uh, as the CEO of Fierce Communications, uh, you give us a little bit of background on your professional training company uh, and what you're doing. And hopefully maybe you have a question for Devin and I. Yeah, absolutely, David. Thank you for allowing me on your show again. I enjoyed the first time I was on. And Devin, it's a pleasure to meet you. Uh, Fierce Conversations, we've been teaching conversation techniques for the past 20 years to Fortune 500 down to emerging startups who are typical traditional L&D where we go in and facilitate or we take people on learner journeys. But what we've done here recently, David, which I believe you're aware of, is we've actually created innovation to optimize performance in the workplace. I hear you talking a lot about that on the science. We've actually started with wearables to be able to help people to detect stress and have context around their stress events. But more importantly, what do they do about it? What do you do about it, right? Instead of just eating right, exercise, uh, meditation, which you know manages stress, how do you tackle those stressors? And it's everything that you've been talking about, David and Devin, it's having those conversations in the workplace to address the real issues. So in a nutshell, that's what we've been doing. So I do have a question for you, Devin and David. <laughs> yeah. I was hoping you could both share with me in your experiences as entrepreneurs, as people in the workplace, where you've seen stress manifest and how you handled it. Oh, that's so good. Uh, Dev, you want to go first or you want me to? You go first. Let me, I want to think of a good, let me, let me, let me. Yeah. So, so you know, I obviously, uh, as I'm older and more experienced, it comes down to fear. Um, and I, I really help uh, people who I work with identify fear first. Uh, and fear takes on uh, different forms. You know, for me, I, I talk about the needs of the ego as one of the catalysts or basis of fears. But uh, if we can identify fear, the need to be right, for example, uh, the, that causes a tremendous amount of stress in, in the workplace, uh, a need to be separate, uh, inferior or superior, uh, a need to be angry, anxious, frustrated, guilty, resentful, uh, a need to be offended, like I said, is one of the biggest ones in the workplace that I have found. It's, it's a fear. Uh, a need for fear, a, a need to be judgmental, uh, a need, you know, to put conditions on things. Uh, these are all things. A need to worry and complain are, are two more fears that I help people identify. And so the first step that I found is to help people or where this dis-ease in a corporation or in life occur is not understanding or identifying fear. Once we identify it, the next step that I teach is utilization of fear. See, most people don't understand that fear is to be utilized. It's why we have our egos uh, that create or identify, you know, is fear being utilized in its correct way. Meaning fear can get us up. It can get us started. It can get us back up. It can get us back started. It can provide us an extraordinary surge of energy, like a rocket ship uses 90% of its energy to get out of the atmosphere. We, we, we have to not only identify fear, but 
understand, is this a time to utilize this fear to get me up, to get me started? Or do I utilize it to get out of my own way? Do I utilize it to lessen the interference, to identify, to say, hey, complaining is creating interference between me and my powerful potential. Maybe I should stop, not resist it, fight it, go over it, under it, through it, around it, deny it, all these things, manipulate it, cheat it, and lie to it. Maybe I should just stop and remind, remember, and recollect with source. What is it that I'm here? What trajectory do I want? Who can I help? Who can help me? And how best could get it done? And then reprioritize according to that utilization of fear. And so for me, one, identify, two, utilize, either to get up, get back up, or to get out of my own way. David, that's uh, that's so powerful. And Devin, before I um, hear your wonderful stories, um, you know, I know what Devin's thinking. He's like, I wish I would have went first. <laughs> I'll give you the time. I'm eager to see what you, you come up with. You know, it's interesting, David. You mentioned identify at least three or four times, and I think that's so important because the data says, and this is from HBR data, Tasha Urich, she's a fantastic IO psychologist that 95% of people think they're self-aware, but only 10 to 15% really are, right? And so that identify is so important because many people are running around having these feelings and they don't even know where to begin, right? Like what's happening? And what you're saying, it starts with you. If fear is inherent in you, what is it? Like what's the root causes of it? And then you dissect from there. So I love that. Man, when you were talking, the, the first thing that came into my mind when I think about stress, a lot of the people in my coaching community or in my businesses, um, there's one line that came up like immediately, control what you can control, right? Focus on what you can control. A lot of times, especially with the world now, there's a lot of unknowns. There's all these distractions. Well, what if this happens? Well, what if that happens? People have goals, right? And sometimes with all the stuff that they're listening to, there's a lot of unknown. And what I find and this is what Dave helped me with, our mind tends to go into protection mode. So we immediately start telling ourselves stories of things that never happened, the worst case scenarios, and we start getting into our own way. And Dave likes to say, giving yourself voids and shortages, right, from things where, hey, you know what, like you're worrying so much about this, like, hey, control what you can control because all the time you're still worrying about this, this could not even happen at all. And it could go smooth the way you want it to. So worrying about things that aren't in your control, that aren't even happening yet, those negative thoughts that, you know, you getting into your own way, think about, I feel like that brings a lot of stress. And what helps is, you know, just control what you can control today. That's what I find a lot is happening right now. Devin, I, I love that. I totally love that, especially nowadays. And I hear you talking about there's so many macro impacts happening, right? Like, why is my sales slower, right? Why are we do not, do we have these supply chain issues, right? I mean, there are things to worry about, they're concerns, but there's so many things in your house, to your point, Devin, that are absolutely in your control, right? That actually maximize your situation. So for example, and this ties into what you both said, in your organization, what has been missed, right? So someone says something to you offensive, you have a couple choices. You can walk away and not say anything and harbor that stress and those feelings against that individual, tell a few other people and amplify that culture of toxicity, which amplifies stress all around. Or three, you can kind of come back and say, hey, David, uh, you know, you made this comment about my haircut, right? Like, what was going on there? In which case, David would say, oh, no, I didn't mean it. I actually liked your haircut. And it's like, oh, okay. So what we find is I'm using that as a facetious example. 
but 90 percent of the time they're misunderstandings or they're really taken out of context and when people immediately engage these things and they get surgical stress levels go down and the outcomes for the company go go up so i love both those examples yeah and i love your analysis of it and the support that you give it we are controlled of our mindset, our heart set, and our handset. And in each of those different areas, it's important to communicate effectively or fiercely as you teach people to do in your books and in your consultative practices. Fierceinc.com, the incredible El Beltran. Welcome back again. We're sure we'll do more together. Keep up the great work, helping people reach their potential. El Beltran, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Dave. Appreciate it. Devin, pleasure to meet you. I got to get a shirt just like that. I'm going to have about four cross out. Like <laughs> I'm loving it. All right, gentlemen. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. All right. Dr. Lawyer, entrepreneur, Dr. Lawyer, failure, whatever it is. That's what we are. All right, Devin, I know you're new to this game and uh, we're going to get you a new microphone, by the way, so we can hear you more clearly. We're, we're going to splurge uh, here on Office Hours. We'll get this guy moving. Most importantly, though, uh, my favorite part of the show is uh takeaways of the day and we've had four extraordinary guests and what's your takeaway for the day man there were there was uh there was quite a few um i i'll tell you what actually the statistic um ed was just talking about um i'm trying to remember exactly what it was but he said something like 90 percent. i'm trying to remember what that statistic was oh, i'm drawing a blank right now um uh, I got to come back to that. Yeah, uh, 90, 90% are miscommunications. Yeah, that's, that's right. what he said. Yeah, yeah. Right. It ties into. And it causes stress. It causes stress over nothing. Yeah, that's it, man. And it comes, you know, as we, as I was just talking about how a lot of people, you know, they tell these stories in their own mind that aren't necessarily true, whether it's the miscommunication, they're thinking that somebody meant something else. I didn't know that the stat was that high. Um, but man, that's even more powerful knowing that. So that's one of the, you know, the many things. And by the way, I got to get better at like writing down all this stuff that I remember. So I can <laughs> and stay close to your microphone too. That's a killer mic. You just got to stay closer to it. Uh, in that concept though, of 90% of that stress is unnecessary. It uh, lends itself to accountability, right? What are we doing to participate in other people's perception. You might be teasing me about my tan or my hair, but what am I doing to participate in that teasing, right? Is it something to start creating dis-ease about, interference about, to worry about, complain about, to create more attacks about? This is what people do on 90% of the time, as indicated. Um, it, you know, in, in my takeaway, it, it's really difficult because these, you know, transformative people the mind, body, soul uh, of it all. But I think to me, it's the essence is my takeaway. Each of these people know themselves to thine own self is true. And say, we, you know, we get to four guests and you forget about it. But Dr. Cindy talked about the credibility of us, of self. And, you know, when we have, as you stated quite eloquently, the control of self, mind, body, soul, mind, heart set, hand set, whatever it may be, when we are true to thine own self, when we realize life is just giving us messages and we're supposed to interpret those messages and through gratitude, forgiveness, accountability, and inspiration, we get the best uh, interpretation, which allows us to have the best transformation to a bigger, better self. And so uh, that credibility to me is the takeaway for the day. Your credibility is amazing. You're going to be doing more shows with me. 
will get even better and better. I'm so proud of you. You're just an amazing person. Uh, and I really appreciate you taking an hour late in the day uh, to do this with me. And I look forward to having you back as a host. And we look forward to learning more together. The great Devin Denofa, thanks for joining me here on Office Hours. Thank you for the great opportunity, Dave. Thank you. Awesome, buddy. Take care. All right, everyone. That's the great double D right there, Devin Denofa at Devin Denofa. He has the Harvest Group, which is an amazing mastermind group. If you're not, uh, if you haven't looked at it, look at it. That's all I got to say. It's one of the greatest groups I get to teach with and speak with and be a part of uh, the Harvest Group that he has. So uh, go ahead, check that out with Devin. Anyway, everyone, what a great day, man. Wow. Reach out to me if you need anything, david at dmelter.com. It's free for a book guide exercises. And if it's free, it's we. So email me. David's my first name, at first initial D, last name Meltzer, like seltzer with an M, david at dmelter.com. I'm going to keep repeating it so you remember, recollect, and remind it, david at dmelter.com. But most importantly, be more interested than interesting. Be kind to your future self and do good deeds. We'll see you tomorrow. Thank you, everyone.